Welcome to the Educate US podcast with your host, Nick Saveri, Dr. Stacy Schultz, and Dr. Patrice Fenton. Three former teachers and administrators talking about a wide range of topics happening in education. Time to educate us. Thank you, of course, for listening to the Educate US podcast, a proud member of Leon Media Network. Make sure to download our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are listening, via Apple Podcasts, please be sure to leave us a five-star review because that really helps out. And make sure to join the conversation by emailing the show at theeducateusshow at gmail.com. So we're going to dive into today two things that we've been sitting with. The first one has been on our it's been on our radar for a while, and we're excited to bring that conversation over here. And the article that we're going to dive into will be available to everyone here as it comes from Ed Week, and we'll make sure to post in our show notes. But one thing we like to do on this show is as we constantly take our conversations or we have our conversations over text, phone call, and however, sometimes bringing you all good listeners and viewers under the tent to what's you know sitting with us. So the backstory of this is a while back, Stacy shared an article with Patrice and I that she had seen in Edweek, and it really just jumped off the page and the idea of like how sim- how simple this idea is. And how real it is, but how at least I only speak for myself here. How I just I never sort of connected the dots as easily as the article had done for me. But I'm giving a lot of disclaimers here. First and foremost, I want to ask my co-host, and we don't do this often. How are you both doing? Just I mean, obviously we're doing this on a Sunday. We're going to be sending this out shortly to put this out this week. But as I say all that, Patrice, just how are you doing? What's been what's been sitting with you lately uh, in the education world, the personal world? What's going on? that thank you for that invitation Nick I am good I'm well I'm well I'm uh balancing many things as is often the case in my life you know professional personal motherhood uh living in a house which is its own set of things and just all the things that come with adulting as I say um but also uh really resting with the season that we're in or at least trying to like I'm trying to really lean into the fact that it's autumn we're preparing for that like winter hibernation season. So I'm really trying to lean into like not having to be so productive, but just to have moments to be. Um, I've been having like conversations with people in different areas of my life around this concept of just being and not producing. Um, so I'm really trying to lean into that these days. I like how you connect that to this to the seasons too. As as we say this, the clock has recently changed, you know, over the last few, not few hours, but earlier today. Stacy, just going over to you, what's been sitting with you and I'll just jump off of Patrice, but in the changing season, where, where are you these days? How are you? Well, too. And, um, it was funny, Patrice and I were connecting before we started to record. And I was saying on my trail run today, there were lots of young families out there. And within minutes, I saw multiple toddlers just kind of tumbling in the leaves. And it was just this very, like, joyous and happy reminder of the season we're in but also the like beautiful mild day it was um and that juxtaposed with you know the other day as we were traveling up to boston for my oldest soccer game we saw trump supporters out across the highway and i was like we were all sort of stunned and nate said it first and was like 
wait, what's going on? Why are they there? And we were like, yes, what is going on? And we just couldn't figure it out. Um, But they were already lined up um, with their Trump signs. Uh, I was happy to not hear any honking supporting what was going on, Um, but seeing more confused riders around us, which led us to a really big conversation about the election and what's coming up, although I haven't been closely following it yet, um, but really um, just starting to explore like what could happen might happen and, and all of that next fall. You know, folks, I, I texted this to my compadres. I'll say it here for you all here. I'm embarrassed as the fact as moderator, but co-host that I haven't even, we haven't explored the, how are you question, which in any organization is really helpful to do as simplistic as that sounds. I, and I can expound on that, but I will not do it here. Um, So I'm making it a rule for educate us that we begin with the humanity that we make it a point that we all take a moment to ask ourselves, how are you doing? As I say that, my best impression of Fraser Crane, I guess. But um, so, you know, for me, obviously, you know, the Raiders just won. That that's obviously where you're feeling. Uh, I'm a fall baby. My birthday comes up in uh, about two weeks, actually. So, um, and I'm always the week before, around the week before Thanksgiving. So it's it's always a special time for me. Um, been reflecting a lot as as the the calendar year for me is slowly about to change, but. Also, Diwali is coming up as well. So I'll be actually with my family celebrating that next year. The last couple of years, they've been having us over for a big dinner. And it's a way for our girls to, to just further connect to, to that side of their heritage. So my grand, my, my not my grandparents, but my parents are excited to do that for their grandbabies. So so I am well, and I'm, as I said before, I enjoy, I enjoy the changing season. I'm not the biggest fan of the reduction of sunlight. I do know that it tends to sap my energy a little bit because I thrive on that so i do have to internally adjust my clock and make sure i'm soaking in as much sunlight as i can and not holding myself up in my home office most days you know and trying to look out but like actually get out even if it's for a few minutes and i would offer that to anyone stacy a couple couple months back you shared this article from ed week and obviously the three of us were just buzzing about like this is a big deal to discuss but i want to just go to you first of just what sort of sparked that for you? You came across this, you brought it to us, but what was it that you saw in the article that said, I think that got caught on the mic, which is great, that snapping sound. Yes, we need to talk about this on the air. Tell me about that. Well, I'll start with just the title, and I'm going to pause at the title because I think it it says a lot. Public schools rely on unpaid female labor. It's not sustainable. As soon as I read that, it really resonated with a lot of the different, you know, history of teaching, the history of public education and education period. You know, the private sector also has a number of, you know, underpaid um, female employees as well. And as I began to further read this article, there were so many points here that just really stood out to me about also some of the challenges were continue to have and are are getting worse as time goes on, right? Teachers are underpaid, period. Not as many teachers, uh, not as many people are going into the profession or studying education, and many people are leaving. There was a line early in this article 
that says the median pay for a different job, the median pay is upward of $106,000 and you don't have to help run active shooting shooter drills, right? Just kind of right towards the start. If this woman went on a different career path that she had known existed, that could have been her life. Patrice, I want to go to you. Just you read the article as well. Obviously, that first the title, that opening story that the author shares is jarring. But what also came up for you as you as you were reading it? Like, what were the? I'm using the word highlights here, but that's not the positive connotation. But like, what stands out to you as you were reading it? So the interesting thing, and it really just connects beautifully with what Stacy just shared. It was like I was reading my own story. So I, when I was at Temple, shout out to TU, shout out to Philly too. Um, <laughs> I was a business major at that time. No inclination whatsoever to become a teacher, even though my, my family had urged me to be so. Um, and I had these advisors and they were really, really, like, really supportive. This is the first time I've had like true advisement in the truest sense of the word. Um, and because of the way I scored on like my entrance exams and how I was doing my classes, they actually suggested that I get into actuarial science, the same exact career path that was spoken about in the article. Um, and they were like, oh my God, you could come out and make X amount of money and you'd be, and I was like, no, I would be bored out of my skull. Um, but long story short, it was, it was the same sort of trajectory. Like I had this path that I could have taken. And yet I ended up on this other path. And the reason why I didn't go into that path was because I didn't want to be in a white male dominated field. I didn't want to be in corporate America. Um, I wanted to be an entrepreneur at that time, but then ended up pursuing education and ended up in obviously a women dominated field and suffered in a way that I could not even have thought that I would have, you know? And I remember being in grad school, pursuing my master's in education and remember and realizing like, oh, it's shitty because it's mostly women in this field. I got it. Like almost, I don't remember what class it was or what I was reading or something, but it really sparked. I was like, oh, I get it. This is why um, this profession has always been pretty much seen as women's work. And so therefore it is not valued in this country. And I may have even wrote, written a paper on it. Um, certainly written a, a blog on it, I believe, as well. Um, but yeah, it was very clear to me, very, very clear to me that it, because it's women's work and that you think about other, and it's mentioned in the article as well, you think about other professions like nursing, right? Similar sort of situation there. Um, I think about other professions like social work and just other quote unquote caring professions, right? These are the most, the least valued. But when we think about the ones that are most valued, we think about, you know, being a lawyer, a doctor, these quote unquote prestigious fields, which are quote unquote paid well, right? Relatively depending on who you ask. Um, but then it's like, I always think, well, how did they get to become doctors and lawyers? They had to be taught, didn't they? <laughs> um, so it's just really ironic to me, but I, I feel like this is going to be, until we can get to the gender-based implications in part, at least, so there's a lot of things to unpack in terms of teacher quality, teacher uh, value, teacher pay, all these things. Um, but this, I think, is a huge part of it, and it's really not discussed a lot. So I was really happy to see this article um, that Stacey shared because it's some. It's, to me, it's raising a flag on, around something that we just don't really often talk about. 
Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. I'll ask you both this and, and Patrice, feel, please go first, but is part of the problem that you mentioned the fields of, of educate, of teaching, social work and other, what you consider caring fields. That's a long way, I guess, of me asking that. Are we just willing, more willing as a country to exploit professions that apply care? Because we, we, we're comfortable with throwing a lot of it, throwing in a lot of the well that just comes with the job and we do that more with some professions i guess because they are more 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 dominated by women but is is that sort of the crux of it that we are more willing to put these onto these caring roles because we assume that women will will take them and we're more willing to not you know ask for more if it's more pay or for more respect that I hope my question is being clear, but I'm trying to sort of cut it to the heart of like what you mentioned that something clicked for you when you when you were looking around and saw your colleagues. Was that what was coming up? Yeah, I mean, in in large part, yes, it is. I think it just as most things do comes down to what this country values. And at the end of the day, it's not really care for human beings. <laughs> um, and it's evident, right, in at least our field, um, in so many more fields, it's really about bottom lines and profitability in the in, in in most cases it's really about um capitalism <laughs> and um in large part caring for human beings actually uh does not impact bottom lines in the way that i think capitalists would like to see it um in fact the opposite is true like the more stressed we are the more um need there is the more opportunity you create for those at the top to, to no pun intended, or maybe pun intended, capitalize, right? So I think that's a large part of it. I think um, the way that women have been viewed historically is a large part of it. And so, yes, it is understood that, well, the women will, they will deal with it and we don't really have to compensate them for doing it because that's part of the job. You took it on, you signed up for it, so you get to deal with it and that's it. Um and I think that's just going to continue unless we continue to, unless we, unless we unpack those layers there. And I think there are a lot of them. Stacey, what comes up for you? Yes. I mean, I, I think we've always, we've talked about gender pay equity gap for forever, right? <laughs> In this country. Um, I also think, you know, for a long time um, when women got married, right, they were no longer allowed to teach. So there was even this sentiment that there was some element of control, you know, not just, oh, you won't ask for it, but you're also quote unquote being controlled to some degree. I mean, even in that article, they went further to talk about how still most superintendents are male. And that role was put in place to have a father-like figure, right? And, and 
why, <laughs> you know, why, why? I mean, we can, we can of course answer some of that and we know why, right. If we look back on our, what the, what the country values and, and what the country has been grounded on. Right. So I think it was really interesting though, last year when they were passing the new 60 K minimum, right under, I think the act was, what was the act? Sorry, I'm just going to take a quick peek. Pay teachers, something, something pay teachers. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact act, American Teacher Act or, and it was interesting because as they were talking about that, they were like, yeah, but is that really enough, right? Does that really propel teachers to where they deserve to be paid? And working, you know, there's this sentiment and belief that teachers only work X number of hours. And I think this article talks about like the 52 hours a week that a teacher might work and make this 60K pay. And, and it's like, does this really all add up? Um, and there was interesting in a different article that I was reading about this, they were speaking to an economic analysis that if um, students have a good teacher, and we're not talking about test scores, graduation rate, a good teacher in a year, just one, just one year, they will raise the pay of that class by 250,000K. Now imagine if you have multiple good teachers over time, right? And this kind of goes to what Patrice was saying about, yes, and then we have to get to quality, et cetera, et cetera. And there's still elements about that. Um, but imagine what that would do. For our students and you know they talk about like we're we're so quick in this country to put money towards defense and protection and etc cetera, etc cetera. but what's our real american building blocks education and who you know who are really important in that it's our teachers right and, and of course our students and families but that is so it's so interesting that this is a consistent debate yet it's doesn't really move, right? The needle barely moves on how we're willing to pay and respect teachers. You know, often sometimes we lob this into this conversation about, well, it's a it's a role, you know, it's a public service position, you know, similar to like just in terms of the way that salaries are created, I mean, from tax dollars, right? But we we often have this conversation about you know, is is there such a thing as too much pay, too little pay? We always do this only with teaching. And it's always been weird to me because it's not the only profession that's paid by us as taxpayers, folks. <laughs> we see, I always use this example, and I'll bring it over here. New York Post owned by Rupert Murdoch, although soon to be not because he's stepping away from it, whatever, um, demonizes public education. Now, of course, the Post is owned by, you know, News Corp, which is a very conservative leaning media organization. So oftentimes when an employee within the New York City Department of Education does something, their salary will often get printed in the article because it's this very subtle way of nudging the taxpayers of you paid for this. That never seems to happen when we have members of the police department that brutalize citizens. It's a very simplistic example, but go ahead and look it up. You never see a policeman's salary posted. I say all this because it seems like teaching is the one profession that is paid by tax dollars often that we overly scrutinize. And we always have this conversation of return on investment, but we never do it with, you know, with police work. 
even like fire prevention, all important, but we never do this. And it seems to be that this, see, it's funny. You both are catching me at a point where I sort of feel like I've entered the matrix or the matrix has been sort of dissolved for me. Because as I read that article, I, I did have this moment of, well, that makes sense. Like this demystification of that's why, because the two professions I just mentioned, police officer, firefighter, we often associate them with men. So we don't question the salary and we say it's a vital role. Now to Stacy's point, and actually Patrice has said this too, what we value in society, prevention, and actually, no, not prevention, <laughs> actually prevention would be the smart way. No, but it's about defense, you know, both at the federal level and the local level. You know, we want to make sure that that's what we value. The development of people, which at its core is what education is, is something we do not value. Although at the same time, development of people is something we also associate with, with mothering and something we also do not take seriously nor put any support to as a, an American society. My colleagues are, are nodding their heads like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> welcome to the club, right? But it, it was powerful for me that as this sort of connected, because I think about the majority of teachers I had were women. And I also am reminded of a recent story that when I was a coach at a public school in district seven in the Bronx and um, the assistant professor, the assistant principal, the view that this individual took about teachers versus students was very startling to me, very kind and loving and saw the promise of kids, but very quick to demonize teachers, her teachers. And, and it didn't now, now you know, you'll notice folks, I just mentioned her gender and it doesn't matter whether she's a man or a woman, but the fact that she viewed her teachers so dismissively, like they should give it their all. They should do everything they can to help these kids while not recognizing that maybe they are. But they are indeed. But this idea of like sacrifice, selflessness, we keep applying all of this and we never pause for a second and say, well, could it be they're under-resourced? Could it be that there's another, there's not other pieces in place? Stacey mentioned superintendents. Go find me the superintendent that truly works sort of in isolation with little resources as a teacher does. Most almost every classroom in America, most of which have one teacher in a classroom. 20, 24 students, even more so. And to sometimes get that additional person in the room, all kinds of things have to, have to happen. But I've never met, and I've worked with superintendents like my colleagues have. I've never been in a meeting with a superintendent where the secretary wasn't near, nearby or there wasn't someone who was going to handle all the back end work. Oh, yeah, I, you know, we'll set up a meeting. My so and so will do that. I've never seen that the other way. And the fact that we, we associate the role of teaching to be taken up by women. Therefore, it's okay to put upon them the idea of sacrifice. And this comes with the job. And to say, well, of course you pay for your own materials. That's, I mean, that's laughable. It's always been that way to me as it's been for you both. It's the one profession that, you know, there's a cap actually on what you can actually expense. If you go look at your taxes, there is a limitation to that as a teacher, what expenses you can write off. It's a very rare in almost every other field. That's not truly the case. Um, anyway, I apologize because obviously I'm, I'm just getting to where you both have been, right? Like I, I've kind of known this, but I need that article sort of was the splash of cold water to me to sort of demystify, like 
here's the clear why. The way, Patrice, you spoke of it you know, earlier in your story, like what happened to you in college is sort of what is sort of coming up for me. And hearing that, of course, I'm left with, let's, it's wrong, yes, but also, you know, how do we begin to confront that? How do we begin to look at the field and say, well, that we've gotten away with this for so long and there's a there's a bill that's due. And the fact that we keep pushing that bill off is why people continue to leave the field and they move into the fields that that are better suited for them, that do not require um, active shooter drills. I, I'm at a bit of a loss for words because there is as I'm sitting with this article and I'm sitting with the reality of what's happening to this field that and the profession that we're also passionate about. I feel a little lost about, you know, where do we go from here? But as Stacy has brought up before, and Patrice has also has brought this up too, when we started the show, that that hope is still the North Star, that we truly believe that. I appeal to my to my friends to you know, help me with that a little bit. Um, Stacy, when we think about, there are no easy solutions here, but when we think of what as educators as educational leaders as members of the community that are influenced or that can influence our schools what are some things that come up that we can be be more mindful of or perhaps more vigilant toward to to do more justice to our profession well you know nick as when i was reading the article one of the resources i went to to kind of do a little more research and digging was future ed and Future Ed is a um, website that Georgetown kind of operates uh, and puts out different like policy trends, different trends in education, et cetera, that you can follow. And in fact, one of our earlier guests, Ariel Taylor-Smith from MPU, was the one who kind of pointed us to that resource. And one of the what that allows us to do as voters, as members of the community, is to stay on top of what is what are policies that are coming out? What are hot topics? What's trending? How do we what are different um, representatives and, and senators thinking about proposing? And how do we let them know what we think about that when we go to vote? Um, each election day? How do we let them know what we think about it when we can write write, write them on a daily, uh, not a daily, let me not say daily, <laughs> but you know, on a consistent basis when these different laws or policies are coming down and being proposed? You know, uh, and oftentimes many organizations provide form letters that you can utilize and just, you know, send or give a call about something that's really important when you know a vote is coming up. But at the very least, as we have election day coming up uh, this Tuesday, we can go to the polls and let people know what we're thinking by voting. Stacey, when we when I began this conversation asking you both how you're doing, you mentioned something that I especially appreciated the idea of of presence, of recognizing the value of being and contrasting it oftentimes with what we think about as productivity. I'm sitting with that because that feels like a potential pathway to, to being more empathetic, to being sympathetic to the profession, to teachers, for educational leaders to maybe step into what, what comes to you though, about connecting just your personal, where you are personal, when you mentioned being to, you know, as a leader, how do you, how do you stress being and the value of it 
for for your team over over the need to charge forward? Yeah, I think this is one of my my hugest takeaways from being a teacher. It sits with me almost on a daily basis, especially now that I work with mostly leaders who have once been educators. Um, but even certainly as I work with teachers and with school buildings and partner with school buildings, this idea that teachers are just supposed to take on literally every and anything um, and, and still perform and expect it to be well in doing so. Um, I think what I'm often urging folks now towards, especially coming off the heels of the pandemic, is uh, that we have to take care of ourselves. And this idea of self-care is like a huge thing now, I feel like it's a buzzword. And I think it's important. Um, and I just, I, I just get kind of creeped out by uh, trends and things like that, because I think it kind of waters things down. And I think this point cannot be overemphasized. Uh, and so I, I think it's incumbent upon us to not just prioritize our humanity, but also be willing to take risks in doing so. Um, take the risk of, yes, I have these mandates and I have to adhere to all of these things that are coming from quote unquote higher ups. Um, but how can you be subversive? This is one of the things that came up for me in my uh, grad school years that again, I carry with me to this day. Um, and I think it's necessary now more than ever because of all the demands that we have on us um, in this field. We've got to figure out ways to to be daring and to be willing to do things differently and to create space to just be, to be ourselves, to be with our young people and to even model for them, right? That it's not about test scores. It's not about how well you can perform in any given day. It's about this community and creating a community of care. Um, so I, I, I hope that leaders out there and teachers as well, because they have a part to play, but leaders especially can um, do the work of creating that space for the teachers and parents and, and young people alike. I appreciate you both just the different lenses that you both brought into where do we go from here? Uh, as always, I'm grateful for you both and to our listeners as well. There's a, there's a weird segue there, but folks, if you are hearing this conversation first, obviously, thank you for doing so. But also, I invite you all to be active as well. Text to us or appreciate it. Email the show. Engage with this conversation. If you are an educator out there and you're hearing this and you're taking a deep breath and ideas such as being, ideas about being active, politically active, or sitting with you as to, yes, this is the pathway forward, then we want to hear from you. We want to hear more about that. We want to hear your story. Emails, the educate us show at gmail.com. You do not, if you want us not to read your name on the show, by all means, but if you want your story heard, reach it, reach out to us because we'd like to share it with everyone. On behalf of my colleagues, Dr. Patrice Fenton, Dr. Stacey Schultz, I'm Nick Severi. Thank you for listening.